welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. So today I'm covering the news. I've got about six stories on tap. My uh, hope here is within 30 minutes just to catch you up on some of the relevant pieces of news in the industry. I'll also throw in some commentary about my thoughts about why this is important to a CMIO, and this gives you guys the opportunity to fuss at me when you disagree, and I love that, so feel free. Reach back out to me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com. So let's get started with some of the news. So the first couple of things I'm going to cover are all going to be about analytics, particularly some uh, artificial intelligence. Um, the first story comes out of Health IT Analytics, talking about Cerner and Duke to automate data collection for chronic disease care. Arthur here is Jessica Kent. Cerner has partnered with Duke Clinical Research Institute to pilot a project called the Cerner Learning Health Network to evaluate the use and potential impact of proven therapies for chronic cardiovascular disease. The the Cerner Learning Health Network aims to help clinicians more easily and efficiently gain health insights and guide care. They're seeking to automate data collection from multiple sources, including EHRs, to rapidly give medical researchers access to information that has the potential to transform patient care. The pilot project and study will use the Cerner Learning Health Network to bring together data and intelligence to deliver insights to clinicians on chronic cardiovascular disease. So uh, they go on to talk about how the current models for clinical research uh, rely on registries, mostly manual chart abstraction. They're expensive, it's slow and small. We have to find better ways of doing this. And the principal investigator, Dr. Anne-Marie Navarre from uh, Duke, from their research institute, uh, comments on the need for a better solution. And my commentary on this, and why does a CMIO need to know? Yes, I think we, we do need this kind of data. What's interesting to me is that Duke is an epic shop. And joining with Cerner on this uh, for this Pop Health initiative, that's interesting. I believe bringing together data from different EMRs is uh, critical to getting a more complete view of our patients. Bringing in claims data, we're going to need more than just that. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly need data from uh, maybe it's your maybe it's your grocery bill or whatever else it is that's helping to inform the social determinants of health. And we're going to need those central repositories. Interesting that Cerner's taking a leap at this. There certainly are others out there, and. This is an interesting play by Cerner, and you wonder, well, why why is Cerner doing this? This is a for-profit, publicly traded company. There must be must be some reason for doing it. And they do have a quote uh, in here, in in the story that says, after the pilot project is completed, the Cerner Learning Health Network is expected to have wide-reaching applications in life sciences, pharmaceuticals, and the healthcare industry as a whole. To me, that says they're going to sell some of this information to a pharmaceutical company at one point in time. And perhaps if you're a large academic research institute and you're contributing data to this, you're able to get access to it to do your own research. And that that may be very valuable for you and maybe enough reason for you to give your data over to Cerner. I think as CMIOs, we do need to be thinking about who do we want to partner with? Who do we want to be giving our data to in order to collaborate on clinical research. 
And uh, I believe others will come knocking on your door. Cerner will not be the only one. Obviously, if they're able to connect with a major uh, research center that's on Epic, um, at, like Duke, they're going to come knocking to others. And I believe they're going to want a very diverse source of information because I think one of the limitations of some of our clinical trials now is you're really only getting it from mostly from large academic institutions and well healthcare happens all over the place and so what happens in smaller inner city um, um, clinics and what happens out in rural areas are probably underrepresented and so their data uh, being brought into a large repository could be very exciting from a research standpoint so think about this from a interoperability standpoint sounds like a good thing I know the IT shops that I've worked with have never had a great interest in doing this data aggregation work from a pop health standpoint. This is tough work. You got to deal with data that's missing and duplicates and some human being probably has to go in and make sure um, when you get something that's not quite lining up right that someone fat fingered in the telephone number wrong and so that telephone number is not quite matching up when you're bringing in different uh, sources of data and so perhaps that's enough to trigger it to kick out of the system well some human being has to look at it and I know our IT shops have not been excited to do that so uh, exciting to see that that someone's willing to do it and I'm not surprised that it's going to come from a vendor uh, I think that they will see the profit in this whereas doing this out of our own IT shops um, probably, probably does not make a lot of great sense and is hard work to do. The next article talks about artificial intelligence as well, also out of Health IT Analytics. And uh, the title here is just 50% of hospital leaders are familiar with artificial intelligence. Healthcare is still in the early stages of artificial intelligence adoption, with most hospital executives reporting that they have yet to invest in AI solutions. So this, this came from a survey that was conducted by Olive AI, I assume they're a vendor, and they go on to say that more than half of hospital executives were unable to name an AI or RPA vendor solution, and just 23% of hospital leaders said they were seeking to invest in AI today, half said they plan to do so by 2021. Um, not entirely surprised that hospital executives were unable to name uh, an AI vendor, although certainly IBM Watson would come to most people's minds if they thought about it long enough. But it's a very fragmented field. I, I see a lot of different vendors. You try walking the, the floor at HIMSS and seeing if anyone has an AI solution out there. You may, you may find one or two. Um, this study, evidently, this survey, uh, looked at 115 executives spanning the roles of CFOs, CIOs, and revenue, revenue cycle managers and supply chain functional leaders. Notice it didn't have any CMIOs in there, just noting that. All right, that's okay. 43% of leaders prefer a company to build, deliver, monitor, and support automations, while 26% prefer to choose the platform themselves and then hire consultants to build their solution. 18% said they would rather choose the platform themselves and have their employees build the solution. And 13% said they would prefer to hire consultants to both choose the platform and build the solution. And so they quote then a CFO saying, it boils down to what's the return on investment and where does it get applied? AI in a more tried and true area such as business functions, example, RevCycle, may make more sense and make it easier to justify the expense. So what's my commentary on this? Well, interesting that they, they are, of course, looking to the CFOs uh, and, and the RevCycle area to justify AI. And that may very well be where to get its foothold in healthcare that you start seeing a larger adoption. I am seeing some clinical uses 
we're not seeing huge return on investments, but perhaps this is early and that, that may explain why CFOs are not wrapping their arms around this with great uh, excitement. So let me tell you a little bit of a story that my first attempt to introduce an AI project to my chief medical officer, I do report to a chief medical officer, and he's a great guy, but no one has ever called him a tech guy. And I start talking about bringing in this artificial intelligence solution that will help doctors uh, complete their notes better and, and help them code better. And it looked really, really interesting and exciting from a provider standpoint. And he's looking at this thing with wide eyes, completely terrified that some computer is going to be uh, helping to get at what the assessment and plan might be for the day. And you definitely, I, I can tell you this did not go anywhere. It was dead on arrival with him. He just did not understand the technology. So I think as CMIOs, as you're bringing forth these solutions, that if you're bringing it forth in terms of a medical solution, set expectations, definitely build in that, um, that timeline. This is not something for building our own that is going to have a turnaround time of three months and there's a return on investment. This could have a very, very long build time if you're building your own. If you're buying, you're just going to be deploying a, a vendor solution. You are talking about then moving your data probably to, uh, to the vendor's platform, usually in the cloud, letting them crunch some numbers and sending you back some, some solutions. That um, now we've added the cloud in. That's a scary thing also. So just keep in mind that the C-suite may not be completely ready for this and that's what this article is kind of getting at is that c-suite still kind of scared not quite seeing return on investment probably interested more on the financial side of trying artificial intelligence where it, i guess the track record's a little more established and i think you will see some research institutions doing more of that clinical work still seeing some returns on investment in terms of you know reducing like the stay reducing sepsis but the CFOs aren't quite convinced about the numbers. And I talked to, to other CFOs about this. They say, yeah, it sounds real good. It's a little bit soft though, that, that direct return on investment, we're not quite seeing it. Is it really the AI that is driving it or are doctors just paying more attention to the disease condition? And would a simple alert saying, um, you know, gee, this patient's sick would work just as well as an artificial intelligence solution. So uh, good points, all needs to be worked out. But uh, definitely think about the, uh, the comfort level of your C-suite as you talk about artificial intelligence solutions. You may hit some resistance there. Another article that came out about machine learning, this one also in Health IT Analytics. The title, Machine Learning Accurately Assesses Inpatient Violence Risk. Applying a machine learning model to EHR data helped clinicians accurately assess violence risk in psychiatric patients. This is in JAMA. Network Open is where the study was published. Violence in inpatient psychiatric wards is a common issue, researchers said, with 14% to 20% of patients committing at least one act of violence during an inpatient treatment. These incidents often have adverse effects on both patients and caregivers, leading to low morale, injuries, and high absentee levels. Many organizations have implemented structured violence risk assessments to manage inpatient violence. However, these analysis these analyses have shown that only a small number of risk factors for violent behavior generalize to different populations. So these tools can be limited by the factors they consider. They go on to talk that the 
tool is using the clinical notes from the EHR, and that's a significant strength of their study the researchers are pointing out. So they're not requiring structured data fields for this algorithm, which I will comment on later. I think that's really exciting and important here. The, in terms of how the model did, the model achieved an area under the curve of 0.797 at one site and 0.764 at another site. And they go on to say that these scores are within the range that can be seen as acceptable for application in practice. So why is this study important? Well, because psychiatry never gets any attention for anything. But no, oh, seriously, I'm, I'm great pleased to see that this has happened in the uh, psychiatry world here. Um, but I really like the study because they are using data from clinical notes. And we need to get more of our models to be doing this, requiring our providers, our clinicians, to go and click data into structured data elements drives us nuts. Granted, it may make the model easier to perform and run, but is it always getting the most accurate information, that real-world flavor of what's going on with the patient? In theory, that lives in our notes, if we're, if we're doing our notes well enough, and hopefully we are. I just would love to see us getting away from having all AI tools dependent upon structured data in the EHR because that workload is being put on someone and that someone is likely you or I or a nurse or a respiratory therapist or some member of the care team. So uh, consider that as you're going about you know, putting in new AI tools in place. Consider if it requires uh, 10 clicks to put in structured data, do you, will you get the value you're expecting out of that tool? Hopefully if the tool is amazing and, and guides you to amazing clinical insights that you will have no problems doing that, but even better would be to pull it from our notes. Okay, the next article is uh, comes out of the VA health system, which is uh, another, I think, underrepresented area here, but DeepMind, that's a Google company. So the VA and DeepMind machine learning model predicts kidney disease. And they were able to predict over 90% of acute kidney injury. And what they're trying to do is develop a machine learning tool that can forecast acute kidney injury in patients up to 48 hours in advance. This was study was published in Nature. And they're saying that they're able to predict this sooner than with usual care. Quote from uh, one of the founders of DeepMind, this project has great potential intelligently to detect and prevent deterioration before patients show serious signs of illness. Speed is vital when the patient is deteriorating. And going forward, the VA Palo Alto Healthcare System in California will be exploring ways to bring the acute kidney injury machine learning model into clinical settings. Researchers will work to build and integrate a user-friendly platform that will assist clinicians with treatment decisions. So why does CMIO need to know about this? So it's great to see work being done like this in the VA health system. I'm thrilled about that. Great partnership with Google. It seems like a very useful model. However, clinically, when I'm seeing acute kidney injury, it's usually in the emergency department. That injury is, in my experience, is happening quite a bit outside of the hospital and predicting that from happening 48 hours ahead of time is going to be very, very difficult to have a meaningful clinical intervention happening before we can even get our hands on the patient. They're coming in septic, they're coming in with the acute kidney injury. I can certainly see where hospitalized patients, we're giving them contrast dye, um, we're gonna do some kind of invasive procedure on them. We may be inducing that acute kidney injury and perhaps having a predictive model telling me, hey, this is really someone you gotta look out for. Can we do something um, to help protect those kidneys? The data that I'm familiar with is 
kind of soft as to what, how effective these treatments are. I've seen a lot of this in particular with the cardiac literature as they're doing cardiac caths and trying to uh, reduce the acute kidney injury related to the dye load there. Uh, perhaps it can help and fantastic. Let's see, they haven't operationalized this yet as, as I mentioned that they're looking for ways to, ex to explore bringing this into clinical settings. So my point on this one is just keep an eye. Let's watch. Let's see where it goes. Uh, certainly two very um, powerful organizations here with access to tons of data and hopefully they can come up with a meaningful solution. So let's just keep an eye on that one. Next article comes out of Healthcare IT News, and it's uh, written by Bill Sawicki. Here's the title, An In-Depth Look at How One Health System Customized Its Epic EHR to Fight the Opioid Crisis. This comes from the Overlake Medical Center and Clinics, and they are embedding a state prescription monitoring program database tool into EPIC. I assume that means accessing it from EPIC. They've changed the way EPIC nursing workflows are working for pain management, and they revised the text that happens in the after-visit summary that the, patient, uh, that the patient's getting. And so they first, how they did this is interesting. They assembled the pain management committee, a multidisciplinary uh, committee that has primary care providers as well as nursing, multi, uh, they had specialists, physical therapists, and IT staff members. They got together to come up with looking at the prescribing patterns and how they're going to track this. Some of the specific technology solutions I mentioned, one of which was giving them, uh, sounds like single sign-on access to the PDMP, Prescription Data Monitoring um, Program. Uh, they are collecting prescribing data on all discharge prescriptions written from the EPIC platform that's both inpatient and outpatient, then making this information available to providers in a blinded format so that anyone can see their prescribing amounts per patient compared with their colleagues and their own trend over time, and medical directors can see unblinded data. I'll get to the, uh, what's, what do I think this is important for? Um, first, are you guys doing this? If you're not, you should. It's hard but valuable information. I've done this twice now, two different organizations. And let me clarify when I say I have done this in two different organizations. That means a huge team of people. This required tremendous collaboration between IT analysts, clinicians, nurses, and, uh, and the analytics team as well. But uh, first, making the prescription data monitoring programs available with single sign-on through your EMR is really a big win for your providers. Absolutely hated going into another portal, the state portal, to log in and then type in demographic information to find my patient and then get some insights on that patient. Hated doing that. Keep me in my EMR whenever possible. And most major EMRs, I believe at this point, are capable of doing this with single sign-on. There's third-party vendors that help can help you make that connection. And you should definitely do that if you haven't already and make it available throughout your entire system. I know that uh, some are doing it just in the ambulatory setting. The inpatient providers definitely need this for helping when they're discharging patients uh, out to after a procedure or after trauma. They, they are going to be going home with narcotics possibly and your providers are going to want to be able to check the database. Next is putting in some of the alerts and I know CMIOs are always nervous about putting alerts in the system um, I spend a lot of time trying to get them out, but I do like valuable clinical decision support. 
and providers like it too, especially when it helps keep them on the right side of the law. Many states have now enacted laws that, hey, providers, you must be checking the PDMP. You must be uh, getting informed consent from your patients that they're going on to a controlled substance, uh, some kind of pain contract, and sometimes they're requiring you to do urine drug screens. And keeping all this straight is complicated. And the, the article goes on to talk about how they, they used um, the health maintenance section of EPIC to, to drive some of these clinical decision support tools, and, and that's what I've done as well, and found it to be very effective. Providers do appreciate getting those alerts when it's telling them, hey, you're not in compliance with the law. You really do need to do this. They may grumble a little bit about having this law in place because it's making more work for people to do, but overall, they do recognize the benefits, the safety aspects, and will generally um, go along with these alerts just fine. I have very high compliance and adoption rate with these alerts. Um, and then uh, finally, putting in the tools, that's only step one on this project. In fact, the harder part is having the forums to have the difficult conversations. That is significantly harder. So you're going to be looking at orthopedist uh, A and noticing that they prescribe 10 tablets of Tylenol number three after their procedure. And then orthopedic surgeon B is prescribing 40 tablets of Dilaudid for the same procedure. And there's a big variation in care, and is there any value to that variation? So you got to sit people down and have that conversation. And it may just very well be, gee, I didn't, I didn't know that my, my colleague is doing the same procedure and using a much different prescribing pattern. And those conversations can go really well, or it can go very defensively. This is the way I've been practicing medicine. And no one's going to be telling me how to do it differently. And hopefully you don't run into a lot of those conversations. I have not. I certainly like to build and develop the forums as a CMIO. I'm not convinced that I want to own the forums. I always want the clinical chiefs to be involved and they will have the sit-down conversations. I'll be there certainly to assist, provide data, to answer questions when the disbelief about the data comes forth. But I uh, definitely want the clinical and operational leaders to, to have the ownership on this. I also think the way that uh, this organization Overlake did it, which was to make it available in Tableau and you can self-service and kind of see how you're doing. I really like that. Providers right now, particularly I know in the state of Virginia, you'll get a letter from the state saying, hey, here's your prescribing patterns. And providers are kind of nervous when they're getting these letters from the state. I think they'd rather self-service, look at their own prescribing patterns, and then think about whether they're doing it right. And many will, will correct if necessary, self-correct and those conversations that aren't even necessary. So I, I love that uh, the capability of just putting a data visualization tool on top of their um, prescription data and looking at it. We did something similar uh, where at my previous organization and providers were definitely engaged around it. All right, last article also out of Healthcare IT News. And this one says that UC Health and that's University of Colorado Health System. They're, they deployed Alexa-based virtual assistant for voice-enabled patient engagement. This comes from Mike Milliard. And all right, I'll read you a couple of uh, key points here. In what it says is one of the most comprehensive deployments of conversational AI so far in the country, UC Health has launched a new virtual assistant meant to help patients find care, 
Services and Health. The new tool is called LIVI, that's L-I-V-I. The Colorado Health System says the broader functionality of the application makes it more inclusive than other provider-deployed virtual assistants designed for just a few tasks and use cases. Livy does not diagnose conditions or give medical advice, but it does answer queries such as, I'm looking for information on diabetes, can you find me a neurologist, or I need urgent care information. Um, I think this is really exciting kind of, uh, kind of work that they're doing here. And why do CMIOs need to know about it? Because this is going to become ubiquitous. Patients are already having access to these tools with variable success. I believe it will continue to get better and better. Um, many people are comfortable having a mic that's always on in their house. Personally, I'm not quite there yet. If you are, fantastic. I'm just curious. If you are, let me know. Um, many people are adopting this technology and uh, watch for the HIPAA violations and other security concerns as these tools start to collect some PHI. Let's see where it goes. Now, CMIOs, I don't think we have to solve this necessarily. That's up for the vendors to solve. But I think we should be aware of it and ask those questions when we're making arrangements with vendors as we start to implement these tools. I think the uh, backlash from consumers could be pretty sharp if they found out that there are people listening in on these conversations and I think people will be listening to these conversations I think that's how these tools get better is the someone a human needs to see okay is this what the human was really trying to get at and then did the computer suggest the right response and so there will be human beings behind it and if that may not it's most likely not going to be someone in your health system and our patients going to expect and think that you are providing the service that you are going to be keeping this data safe and secure when in reality that data is probably going out to a third party or numerous third parties for analysis. Um, I can picture this type of tool being used in other ways not just by a patient at home but perhaps in our facilities I can see conversational AI really helping out with uh, patients sitting in the bed and the hospital going, hey, when's my MRI scheduled for today? Or what is the name of my hospitalist that will see me later today? And this could really reduce the burden of questions that's hitting the nursing staff. There, there could be a return on investment with that. I think it would be a great patient satisfier. Again, whether or not patients are comfortable with all of their conversations being listened in on um, will be interesting to, to kind of watch. So keep your eye on this technology. I think as a CMIO, we should certainly be watching conversational AI. I think that's enough news for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, I've been your host, Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email at cmiopodcast at gmail.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.